0: Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorcity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you. I'll also let you know what's new with my life and my writing. More about that later in the show. For now, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you the conclusion of my portal fantasy, The Dark Lord Steve. If you're new to the show, don't start here. Go back to episode 221 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Steve Lipinski lived 31 years in the swords and sorcery world of the Reach. In that time, he and his wife Daisy built a prosperous kingdom, With Daisy's talents for magic and administration, and Steve's ability to conjure anything he could imagine, they were able to build a better way of life for their people, ushering in an era of progress, peace, and justice. But not everyone was pleased with the changes Steve and Daisy had made. One day they were visited by the designer, the being who was responsible for the creation of this world. As Rashid had guessed all those years ago, the Reach and its inhabitants are the products of an incredibly sophisticated computer simulation created by the designer for the entertainment of his players. This fantastical world was supposed to be a place for bold adventurers to live out their dreams of glory and conquest. People from Steve and Rashid's world were just inhabitants of another Sim, imported into the Reach to serve as realistic antagonists for the players. Steve had unwittingly exploited a bug in the Sim's code when he broke free of his sorcerer's enchantment, and now the Sim is badly off-script. By ending centuries of warfare and building a prosperous and happy realm for his people, Steve has turned the designer's glorious battleground into a utopia, and for the players, utopias are boring. Over Steve and Daisy's protests, the designer ripped Steve out of his world, sending him back to the San Francisco Bay Area. Because of the differences in how time flows between the two Sims, Steve had only been gone for a month, and the designer put him back in his original body, erasing more than half his life as if it had never been. Steve's buddy Rashid found him and drove him back toward his apartment, where Rashid has been staying. But Steve is just beginning to come to grips with the enormity of all he has lost. The Dark Lord Steve Written and read by Chris Lester Seven. Steve was still feeling a little wobbly, so Rashid helped him up to the door of his apartment. Maleficent sprang up from the sofa and ran to greet him, chirruping happily and rubbing against his legs. Steve laughed through his tears, picked her up, and buried his face in her fur. Hey, baby girl, he whispered as he stroked her head again and again. I missed you, too. He carried her back to the sofa and sat down in his usual spot. The cat purred loudly and kneaded his chest, and for a while Steve thought about nothing else. Rashid cooked a frozen pizza and divided it between them, setting Steve's plate on a tray table along with a bottle of anchor steam. Thanks. Sure thing, bud, Rashid said. He turned on the television and started playing a comedy series Steve used to like. He barely remembered who the characters were anymore. They watched and ate, saying nothing. After the third episode, Rashid hit the mute button. So, you ready to talk about it? Steve did not look at him. Talk about what? How you're back home after 31 years, and the only person you're happy to see is your fucking cat? Rashid spoke the words as gently as he probably could have, but they still stung. Steve shook his head wearily. It was a long time, Rashid. I didn't think I'd ever go home. I moved on. I had a life. He sighed. I had a queen. And then, one day? He spread his fingers in a mock explosion. Poof. Gone. Rashid took a long sip of his beer, nodded slowly. How it happen? Steve told him. Rashid listened, and when Steve started to cry, he wordlessly passed him a box of tissues. When he had finished that story, Rashid asked other questions about his life in the Reach, about his wife, his kids, his friends, and the projects he had undertaken to make life better for his people. He talked for hours, and it felt good to do it. There were more tears, and smiles, and even a little laughter, and sometimes all three together. Rashid stayed with him through it all, and never treated Steve's life in the other world as anything less than real. After a while, Steve ran out of words. He looked over at the clock. It was well after midnight. He wasn't sure how long he'd been back, but it had been at least eight hours. For Daisy, he'd already been gone for four months. I want to go back, he whispered, still staring at the clock. I'd give anything to go back. Rashid smiled sadly. I can't blame you, dude. Steve got slowly to his feet idly noting that his joints didn't ache and creak the way they used to. Well, I guess I should go to bed, right? Figure out what to do next in the morning. For sure, Rashid agreed. He rose, and after the briefest pause, he opened his arms to Steve in an offered hug. Steve took it, wrapping his arms tightly around Rashid's back. It's good to see you, Steve, Rashid said his own voice, thick with emotion. I wish it were under better circumstances. Thanks, man, Steve whispered. Rashid drew back, looked him in the eye. You mind if I stay here tonight? The bar's not running this late, and an Uber back to Pleasanton would probably bankrupt me. Steve smiled, feeling a fresh wave of gratitude. For sure. Make yourself at home. Neither of them addressed the unspoken subtext, that if Steve were left alone right now, he might do something he would regret. He took a shower and got ready for bed. Staring in the bathroom mirror, he opened his hands to summon a toothbrush and toothpaste, the way he had every day for the last thirty-one years. When they did not appear, he was momentarily confused, then felt like an idiot. He rummaged around in the drawers until he found one of those cheap plastic brushes the dentist had always insisted on giving him, and a travel-sized tube of paste left over from some long-past vacation. He brushed, spat, rinsed, spat again, and went to his bedroom. Maleficent was waiting for him. She meowed and turned in little circles as he approached. He smiled down at her and scritched behind her ears. When he climbed into bed, she curled up beside him. The sound of her purring lulled him gently into sleep. That night, Steve dreamt of Daisy. They were walking the banks of the river that flowed through their kingdom, watching the little fishing boats and barges float past. The sun was setting behind a distant line of trees, painting the sky in lovely shades of pink and gold. Daisy held his hand, her long, strong fingers gently caressing his skin. He looked down and saw their feet falling in unison along the river bank. You're quiet tonight, Daisy said, her voice low and gentle. Steve felt himself smile at her. Just enjoying the moment. She smiled back at him, her eyes sparkling brilliantly in the slanting light. Her laugh lines crinkled along her nose and in the corners of her eyes. Her freckles gleamed like flecks of copper across her pale skin. We've had a lot of good moments, she said. What makes this one special? Steve's heart gave a sudden pang. It's the last one. Daisy leaned over and kissed him tenderly. She looked up into his eyes. They were pools so bright and clear he wanted to dive into them. You don't know that, she said gently. Have a little faith, love. Faith? Steve couldn't stop the bitter laugh that escaped his lips. (laughs) Faith in who? The gods? That asshole designer who took me away from you? She put a hand to his cheek, gripped his chin firmly. Of course not. Have faith in me, Stephen Charles Lipinski. Stephen Charles Lipinski. Stephen Charles Lipinski. Stephen Charles Lipinski. Steve fell roughly to the floor, starting awake with the impact. He felt dizzy and disoriented. I must have rolled out of bed, he thought. After thirty years, he had gotten used to sleeping in a king sized bed and the one in his apartment was only a full. Awareness of his surroundings came slowly. The floor was harder than he remembered, and cold. Dim, golden lights shone all around him, obscuring the features of the room beyond. He peered into the gloom, and finally realized that he was looking at bare walls of polished stone. A voice came from behind him, low and gentle and achingly familiar. Stephen Charles Lipinski, I have summoned thee. Heed my words. Steve turned around so quickly that his head spun, but then his vision cleared, and there was his lady, dressed in flowing black robes, the ritual knife in one hand and the chalice in the other. She knelt at the edge of a circle of candles, but there was no pentagram drawn on the floor. Daisy, Steve gasped. He staggered toward her, stretched out a hand beyond the circle, and felt his skin touch hers. She leaned into his touch and smiled through her tears. I have called thee by thy true name, she said, continuing the formal words of the invocation. I have bound thee by my power. Thou mayst not leave until I bid it. Steve choked back a sob, grinned, and stroked her face with disbelieving fingertips. I don't seem very bound, he said, gesturing down at the circle. Daisy let out a shaky breath and spoke to him in English. Yeah, I made some modifications. It took me a while to figure out how to do it. She swallowed visibly, then opened her robe. She was naked underneath, and her skin was tattooed with hundreds of arcane sigils. I bound you to myself. Steve stared at her for a long moment, then let out a delighted laugh. Daisy started laughing too, and that made him laugh even harder. I... He stopped, gasped for breath, started again. (laughs) I can live with that. And then they were in each other's arms, their eager hands caressing whatever skin they could reach. They shed their clothes and made love in the circle of candlelight, and Steve could not take his eyes off her for a moment, because he was afraid she might disappear again. But Daisy remained, and Steve remained, and they shared in the pleasure of each other's touch until the coming of the dawn. After sharing a bath and breakfast to renew their strength, Steve and Daisy went for a walk along the riverbank. It was winter, and a blanket of snow covered the ground, but the day was sunny and mild, and the river had not entirely frozen over. Steve watched a small black-and-white bird dive into the water after small silver fish, heedless of the cold. There was a war this year, Daisy said. We lost most of the reach to invaders from the north, and Baron Falstein started a rebellion in the southeast. Steve sighed and nodded. Those'll be the players, I guess. Men and women from some other world, looking for glory and conquest. They don't care who gets hurt, because for them it isn't real. I had guessed as much, Daisy agreed. The fighting has stopped, for the winter at least. That gives us time to strengthen our defenses, and to plan our counterattack. Steve looked at her sharply. I don't want anyone else to get hurt. Neither do I, Daisy said, but there was a hardness in her voice. But this is the world the designer gave us, so we'll play his game. We'll play it smarter and better than his players do. And we'll win. She gave him a proud, fierce look. "'because we have something real to fight for.' "'Steve turned to her, gripped her hands firmly in his. "'Damned right we do.' "'He kissed her, and she returned it earnestly. "'After a moment they parted, and she smiled up at him, "'a wry twist on her lips. "'You gave my old body quite the workout last night,' "'she said teasingly. "'I'd forgotten how energetic you were in your youth.' Steve abruptly realized that he was still in the twenty-four-year-old body that not-Steve had reset him to. Oh, sorry, love. I... I think I can change back. He closed his eyes and started to picture his older body. She reached up and pinched his cheek hard, the pain making him open his eyes again. Silly man, she said fondly. I meant that you should change me so I can keep up with you especially if we're going to be busy running around and fighting come spring. Steve blushed, feeling foolish. Oh, yes, that would make more sense. He cupped her cheeks in both hands and smiled at her. Eva, daughter of Albin, be restored to the peak of your health and strength. Daisy's body was suffused with white light, and Steve watched as her skin grew taut and youthful again. Her muscles regained lost mass and strength, the patches of gray in her hair turned coppery red again, her breasts grew firm and rose higher on her chest. She was no more beautiful than she had been, for Steve had grown old with her and loved every line and wrinkle. But now she was a formidable warrior woman in her prime once more, ready to face the new challenges the designer had given them. Steve changed himself then as well, returning to the tall, well muscled form he had worn when the people of this castle had first hailed him as Lord Steve. Daisy ran her hands lovingly over his biceps and smiled approvingly. Ready for another thirty years, my Lord Steve? she asked. Steve grinned. And the next thirty and the thirty after that. But there's one thing I need to take care of first. She raised her eyebrows questioningly. Oh? Steve turned them around and started back toward the castle. Let's get that summoning circle ready again. Steve looked down at the arcane sigils Daisy had inscribed into his skin. The complex, looping pattern covered most of his arms and torso, just as Steve's binding spell covered Daisy's skin. At least now we match, he said, winking at her. Think it will work? I am still technically a demon in this world. Yes, but I'm the one performing the spell, Daisy reminded him. You're just the anchor. Everything I've seen in my research says it will work. Fair enough. Let's do it, then. Daisy lit the candles and chanted the incantation. She drew a few drops of Steve's blood into the chalice then cast it across the circle. A swirling portal of light and darkness opened above them, and something small and black fell out of the empty air. Maleficent landed on her feet, of course. Her tail stood up straight in the air, and her fur was fluffed out in all directions. ''Maleficent,'' Daisy intoned, ''I have summoned thee and bound thee in my power. Heed my words.'' The cat stared, wide-eyed at Daisy. Then her gaze turned to Steve. Hi, baby girl, Steve cooed. He knelt on the floor and extended a hand. It's all right. I know I don't look like it, but it's me. Slowly, Maleficent padded over to Steve. She sniffed his outstretched fingers, then proceeded to examine his palm and the inside of his arm. After a few tense seconds, she looked up at him, flicked her tail back and forth, and let out a happy chirrup. Laughing, Steve picked her up and cuddled her close. She butted her head against his nose and rubbed her chin on his face, purring loudly. Daisy reached out and gently stroked the long, fluffy fur on the cat's back, her expression one of delighted wonder. Maleficent turned toward her and rubbed her face against Daisy's fingers. Daisy giggled. Some people say that cats are servants of the Dark Ones. I guess in this case it's literally true. Steve laughed and scratched Maleficent under the chin. Mallie is nobody's servant, he said. But she's very sweet to the people she likes, aren't you, baby girl? Maleficent let out a loud Meow. There was a flash of light from somewhere behind him, and the cat climbed up his arm and hopped down to the ground. Steve turned around, and there, right in the middle of the once bare floor, was a large bowl of Maleficent's favorite wet food. The cat crouched down in front of it and began to eat, growling happily. Steve and Daisy looked at one another, wide-eyed. "'Demon cat,' Daisy said. "'Demon cat,' Steve agreed. Daisy looked down at Maleficent with a new, wary respect. Should we be worried about what she might do with that power? Steve considered the question seriously. I think we'll be okay, he said. Just let the people know there's a new Dark Lord in charge. The end. And that was our story. I hope you enjoyed it. The Dark Lord Steve is the final story in the Distant Realms story collection, which you can purchase right now in ebook and paperback. Follow the link in the show notes, and keep an eye out for the audiobook coming soon at audible.com. Now it's time to check in on my writing endeavors. Here's your weekly writing report. I wrote 1,322 words this week, over the course of two and a half hours, for an average writing speed of 529 words per hour. I wrote on three out of seven days this week. This week I did some research into the craft of romance writing, In addition to reading FF romance stories, I started digging into some writing blogs, which taught me about the structure of a romance plot, the important story beats that it needs to hit, and the types of internal struggles and transformations that characters should go through in the course of the book. Writing a romance novel is like writing a sonnet. There's a specific framework that you have to follow, certain things that need to happen at well-defined points— Within that structure, though, you have a lot of freedom to explore different kinds of characters and settings. Having read a few of these now, I can identify the story beats as they happen, and I can see the different ways that authors bring them into being. It may sound formulaic, but it isn't any more so than a mystery novel, or a hero's journey epic. If anything, the romance has an added level of complexity— because you're juggling the story arcs for two protagonists instead of one, and they both have to change or grow over the course of the story. I'm looking forward to the challenge, and this week I made a few pages of new notes about Honor and Natasha, fleshed out some of the supporting cast, and identified the character traits in both of them that will drive the plot forward. Over on the Patreon feed, we have two new patrons this month. Please welcome Joffrey and Christopher. As I've said in the last few episodes, our household income is in an uncertain place right now. We're doing better than a lot of people, and we learned this week that Mel will be getting severance pay from Burning Man, which is going to help us a lot. But I couldn't keep this show going without the generous ongoing support of you, my faithful patrons. Your donations pay for my web hosting, podcast distribution, internet service, and the gear that lets me record and produce a show like this. Some of you are in difficult financial circumstances right now, and if you need to take a break from supporting the show in order to take care of your own needs, I completely understand. Like I said, Mel and I are luckier than a lot of people, especially our fellow artists and creators. But if your income is secure right now, and you can afford to send a few bucks my way each month, it really does help a lot. You can go to patreon.com slash author chris lester to sign up, and you'll get access to lots of cool extras that you can't get anywhere else. Again, that's patreon.com slash author chris lester, and thank you so much for your support. This episode marks the end of the fifth season of The Raven and the Writing Desk. I completed 40 episodes this year, exactly the number I was aiming for. I love it when a plan comes together. You may remember that back in January, I set some goals for my writing this year. Obviously, between buying a house and this whole COVID crisis, that plan got shot to hell. I didn't write anything in February or March of this year, the first time that's happened in the five years since I started this podcast. But I'm here to tell you that I'm getting back on the horse. This past Thursday, April 16th, was P.G. Holyfield's birthday. If he were still with us, he would have been 52 years old. He should have had a lot more years left to write his stories and share them with us. But, of course, none of us gets to know when our time is up, and there's nothing like a global pandemic to bring that reality into gut-wrenching focus. Five and a half years ago, I made my nemesis a promise that I would start writing again. Five years ago, I started this podcast to make sure I kept that promise. It's time to pick up the mantle again, dust it off, and keep going. I'll be taking a couple of weeks off from the podcast so I can make some final additions to the recording studio. Then I'll be back on May 10th for the start of Season 6 when I bring you my sixth book in the world of Metamore City. Get ready for an erotic adventure like nothing you've heard before, because it's time for Homecoming. See you then. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorcityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900 then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author chris lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2019 and 2020 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvette Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License, So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.